from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. Posons-nous sérieusement la question de l'avenir que nous voulons et ayons tous ensemble le courage de le construire. Für uns in Deutschland ist das Bekenntnis zum vereinten Europa Teil unserer Staatsräson. A strong united Europe is a necessity for the world because an integrated Europe remains vital to our international order. This is the moment for Europe to lead the way towards a new vitality. We record this episode on Friday, November 25th. Today, on Wednesday, November 30th, the Commission has indeed green-lighted Hungary's recovery plan and is still recommending that the Council blocks 65% of Hungary cohesion funds. This was our working assumption during the whole episode, but please do notice that we might be referring to a decision that is coming up, that has now indeed come up. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the CR podcast. This week with me, Camina Mortera in Brussels, and my colleague Sander Thorduar in Washington. Hello there, Sander. Is it good morning or good afternoon? Still morning. Uh, great to be here, Camina. <laughs> you guys may know Sander already. Uh, he and our ace colleague, John Springford, Uh, analyzed the European Commission's proposal to revamp uh, the European Union's fiscal rules in this very podcast a couple of weeks ago. If you have not listened to the episodes, do check it out. It will provide you with plenty of things to impress your friends and family with during these holiday periods. Now, Sandra and I have come together this week to talk about Hungary. More specifically, we are going to try to unlock the politics and the economics of the current conflict between Budapest and Brussels. And we're trying to understand what on earth is happening. That's a, that's a great way to kick off. What on earth is happening, Camino? So I think to, to try and understand what's happening, we have to go back all the way to 2012. And I know that's a long way back to go. Uh, but that's sort of the first time that the European Union expressed some sort of problem with the Orban government in Budapest. In 2012, the Commission brought Budapest to courts because it was concerned about the fact that Orban was stopping or hindering uh, the independence of Hungary's central bank, the Data Protection Authority, and also tinkering with the judiciary. Now, moving forward six years later, the European Parliament in 2018 started something that we call here Article 7 procedure. And that's sort of a disciplinary procedure that we have in the European Union that, if successful, allows the Parliament and the Commission and, and the Council of Ministers to basically stop a country from voting on EU policy. Uh, that is what we used to call the nuclear option here in Brussels. I guess the nuclear option has become something else now. Um, but in any case, this Article 7 procedure against Hungary is going nowhere because it needs to be agreed by all member states and there are no prices for guessing which member state is blocking Hungary's disciplinary procedure. And that's obviously Poland's. The reason why... Uh, besides the Romans in between Orban 
and Kaczynski and Morawiecki is because the European Union also has an Article 7 procedure against Poland. So in this respect, Poland and Hungary are backing each other up. Now, because Article 7 hasn't been very successful, right? Uh, the European Union has been looking for other ways to try and bring Orban uh, back uh, into the fold in a way and try to stop democratic backsliding and the rampant corruption that is happening in Budapest and, well, is happening in Hungary in general. Now, Article 7 procedures are going nowhere. So the European Union has been looking for ways to make sure that Hungary complies with anti-corruption and rule of law provisions. And to do that, the European Union has been looking at two different stream of funds. The negotiations are separate negotiations. They are supposed to be technically different funds, but everything is politically linked when it comes to Hungary and the European Union. Now, Sander, could you explain us what these funds are and what Hungary is risking? So there are basically two, two sets of funds. One is the cohesion funds, as you mentioned, which are a part of the regular EU budget that way precedes the, the pandemic. And there the commission has the ability to freeze a significant part of the cohesion funds that are meant for Hungary. And Hungary is, is a big beneficiary of these funds because they have a lower income level than the EU average. So they, they get quite a lot. And we're talking here about 7.5 billion that the commission could freeze. The, the second instrument is the re recovery instrument from the pandemic, which was introduced to help countries uh, grow out of the pandemic recession more quickly. And there, Hungary is also a key recipient. Now, originally, they were supposed to get around 7.4 billion in grants from the recovery fund. But the allocation formula was revised this summer based on GDP growth performance in 2020 and 2021. And so the amount for Hungary was reduced to 5.8 billion. This is not a Hungary-specific adjustment. This is done for all countries based on economic developments. So we're talking about 7.5 billion plus 5.8 billion. And then a third dimension are loans from the recovery instrument, so not grants. And these loans are quite attractive because they provide cheaper financing than Hungary could get elsewhere. And there, there's some media reporting that Hungary would apply for 9 billion of loans on top of the 13.3 billion in grants from the cohesion funds on the one hand and the recovery instrument on the other. Well, that's a lot of money, actually. But what's happening this week, or what's happening actually this month, more than this week, um, is that these two proceedings have come to a head at the same time. And this is what I think has gotten people very confused about whether or not Hungary is going to be able to access uh, a pot of money and not the other, or the other way around. So as Sander very rightly said, these are two different funds. These are two different instruments. They're separate. The negotiations over them are separate. To access the recovery funds, uh, the commission needs to approve the national plan and the member states uh, in particular in order to receive the money needs to meet what we call milestones. And these include obviously 
being accountable for the money that is being spent, that's not being corrupt and having a proper judiciary. Now, to access regular European Union funds, there was no condition on the rule of law whatsoever until 2021. What happened in 2021 is that the European Court of Justice approved a law that the Commission, the Council and the European Parliament had previously passed but was being blocked in courts by Budapest and Warsaw. And they approved, the European Court of Justice said, this law can go ahead. And this law is what we call here the conditionality mechanism. And this conditionality mechanism, which is a horrible EU jargon uh, term, what it does is basically it allows the European Commission to say, okay, government X, you've been doing strange things with our European Union money. Uh, you're using our European Union money uh, to sort of violate rule of law provisions. So now we're going to stop giving you this money. The conditionality mechanism was triggered for the first time uh, in April 2020 against, you guess it, Hungary. And with it, the Commission has proposed to freeze 60, 65% of cohesion funds to Hungary, which is the 7.5 billion euros that Sander was referring to. Now, Orban was very upset about this, as we can imagine. And he said, don't worry, I'm going to pass a number of laws. I'm going to make sure that everything that you think is wrong in my country is going to be right by November 19, so you guys can give me the money. And the commission said, okay, fine, we're just going to wait. We're just going to wait and see what happens with these laws that you, uh, Victor, are you know, putting together. And we're going to assess whether we think that you're being uh, honest. Um, so this all happened uh, around, as I said, the 19th of November. In the on the 19th of November, the commission said, we don't have enough time. We, we're actually going to uh, wait a little bit to decide on this. And they decided to extend the deadline. And actually, last week, the Commission decided to brief journalists to tell them that the most likely decision was still going to be, we're not satisfied with what Orban has put together. And we still think that the European Union should freeze this money. Now, it is not for the Commission to decide. It has to be the Council. And the Council is going to meet on December 6, and is supposedly going to take a decision on this on December 6. Now, at the same time that they were looking at cohesion funds, the Commission was also looking at the recovery funds, at Hungary's national recovery plan, which, by the way, had not been approved yet. And in their briefing to journalists, they also indicated that they will approve the National Recovery Plan for Hungary. Now, this does not mean that Hungary will be able to access the 5.8 billion on grants and the reports 
nine billion on loans that Sander was talking about immediately, because in order to access the recovery funds, member states need to comply, as I said before, with a number of milestones, and this has not happened yet. But in any case, who knows what will happen? Uh, this is all a bit of a complicated backstory here in Brussels as well. What do you mean? So look, I think there is a lot of confusion about numbers and about deadlines and about who decides what and when. And I think this is on purpose. The Commission has been sending different signals uh, all across the board, so not only to journalists, but obviously uh, to researchers and others covering this, this story, um, sort of changing the tune, saying that they will approve, they will not approve, they will approve the recovery fund, but not approve cohesion funds, or the other way around. Um, the Parliament has been very vocal, has, has been very, very strong in saying that the Commission should not release any funds whatsoever to Hungary. But the Commission has been playing a little bit uh, the game here. And in my view, this is um, a very clever political move on the part of the Commission. And this is because I do not think that anybody in their right mind and anybody who has read a little bit about this can actually believe that Orban's reforms are going to make a difference straight away. Now, there is another school of thought that believes that if they are not, they might not make a difference straight away, but they are at least a step in the right direction. And they allow the Commission to sort of keep on a dialogue that was previously closed. But one of the problems that we are seeing here is that in order to get the money, Orban is, um, is uh, resorting to very dirty tactics. And those have nothing to do with the cohesion fund, nothing to do with the recovery fund, nothing to do with strategic uh, plans or anything like that. He's basically just vetoing decisions on everything from tax to you know, aid to Ukraine to whatever, and it's being very, very difficult. Um, so I think the commission here is just trying to find the right balance in between, okay, we, we cannot possibly tank the, Hungary, the Hungarian economy. And this is something that I, I really want to ask you about, uh, Sander. But at the same time, we are dealing with a member state uh, who is pretty much an outcast. He's doing things that nobody used to do, which is, you know, vetoing stuff without, uh, proper reasons and without a negotiating sort of position on this. Um, so let's let's try and find a way to play Orban's game. And in my view, what the Commission is trying to do is very cleverly pass the ball to the Council of Ministers. So still saying we're not satisfied with what Hungary is doing here, uh, and it's up to you, our political masters, to decide on this. This is what will happen uh, in principle on the 6th of December, and we will see uh, what happens there. But I think, I mean, this whole thing is to be expected because there is a lot of money on the table and it's potentially quite game changing for the Hungarian economy, which I, if I understand correctly, it, it is in dire straits, right? I wouldn't say in dire straits, but the situation certainly seems tricky after a very rapid recovery from the pandemic recession, economic growth in Hungary is clearly losing momentum. And there are a lot of risks that can really significantly worsen the outlook for the Hungarian economy. And even some high frequency 
data that's coming in as we see is showing that towards the end of this year the hungarian economy is is maybe already entering a contractionary phase which at this stage is is not massive but it does show that this debate hits hits the hungarian economy at a point where it's a bit vulnerable and i think three three long term challenges stand out that are relevant for the eu support um for example the hungarians will will use quite a lot of fiscal policy support to help cushion the decline of household income on the back of very high inflation and to try to con contain a contraction of the economy. But that comes, of course, at a considerable cost to Hungarian public finance, where the picture looks not very encouraging with deficits over 3% for years to come, according to the Commission's estimate. A second issue is that Hungary quickly needs to diversify away from gas, which requires serious investment over several years. And securing the financing for these large-scale investments is critical, as the IMF also recently uh, advised uh, the Hungarian authorities. And finally, these judicial independence and anti-corruption measures are a way to unlock growth in the long term as well. There's a lot of research to show that these types of measures help strengthen the business environment, improve efficiency in public spending, and, and lift long-term prosperity. So across these three dimensions, there are significant challenges for, for Hungary if they don't get the EU funds. So these funds are really important for the Hungarian economy, right? Absolutely. I mean, just to give you a sense, the, the grants on the table across the two instruments roughly equate 8% of the Hungarian economy as, as measured by 2001 GDP. That's really quite staggering. But perhaps more importantly is what the money would be used for. Oxford Economics estimates that the EU money would comprise around 25% of total Hungarian public investment for the next few years. So public investment is hugely important for long-term growth. And even if some of the EU money is lost in misallocation, waste or corruption in Hungary, there's no doubt that EU-sponsored investment has played a vital role in Hungary's good economic performance over the last decade. Just to give you a sense, between 2015 and 19. Hungarian economic growth was 4% on average, amongst the highest in Europe, and unemployment reached historic lows. A sudden stop in these investment flows would be very disruptive for investment planning, leading to project cancellations that will be hard to unwind afterwards. I mean, just think about public invest infrastructure projects. These are complex multi-year processes that require contracts and certainty for the companies involved. If that goes belly up, it is hard to get, get it back on track. And Hungary could, of course, try to stem some of those effects with their national budget. But as I mentioned earlier, there does not seem to be all that much policy space for them. Yeah, there's, there's no wonder that Orban is fighting tooth and nail for this money. Uh, and also, there is no wonder why the European Commission and the Council of Ministers are trying to be as careful as they can, uh, because there is the rule of law dimension that we were talking about before, but there is obviously this very important economic dimension. And we should remember that if the Hungarian economy tanks, uh, that's not going to be good for anybody, uh, not least the European Union. Um, so that's why I think that this month is such a crunch time for the whole brouhaha in between Budapest and, and Brussels. Uh, because we are coming 
two moments where we've done everything that we could in terms of law, we've, we've done infringement procedures, we've done um, conditionality mechanism, we've come up with a recovery fund that has milestones attached to it, we've tried negotiating, there's a war going on, we've tried um, sort of unifying the European Union uh, with that, and nothing seems to have worked. So now I, I put out there a stream of mad thoughts on how we could sort of do something about this impasse. And maybe I will use you as a, as a sounding board, um, Sander, because I think the, the economic impact of all this is absolutely staggering. But when you look at the politics, something needs to happen. We cannot go on sort of playing this Mexican standoff uh, forever and ever. Um, and we cannot have urban blackmail in the European Union, uh, the European Union giving concessions or not giving concessions and everybody's unhappy. There is no way forward. So I came up with this little dirty trick, which I am A, not sure is entirely realistic, B, not sure is the way a democratic uh, club of countries should work and see I'm, I'm not sure whether it's going to make any difference but in any case we're all trying here to have some blue blue sky thinking so I was talking before about the fact that the commission has approved the recovery funds but that the money will not flow to the Hungarian economy unless they do something about the judiciary and the anti-corruption authorities and all that so let's forget the recovery funds for a moment because let's let's put it sort of in a, in a basket and, and accept that this has been approved and that is sort of following the normal proceeding that all member states including Poland by the way um, are following. Let's focus on cohesion funds uh, on this on this 65% of cohesion funds that the commission has said the council of ministers should block uh, to Hungary so this 7.5 billion euros. Here as I said before, the Commission has gone back and forth in between sort of indicating that it will approve these funds and saying that it will block these funds, but it doesn't really matter because the Commission does not decide on this. It is up to the Council of Ministers. Now, the Council of Ministers is this funky uh, institution in the European Union where ministers of different formations meet, different uh, national ministers. So which we have the Justin Homafers uh, Council, where Justin Homafers ministers meet, by the way. This is happening at the time of recording tonight to talk about migration. Uh, there is the, the uh, Foreign Affairs uh, Council, where Foreign Affairs ministers meet, and on and on. In this case, the decision falls with the ministers of economic and finances, so the, the so-called ECOFIN. Now, when the Council of Ministers is not able to reach a decision, because this decision is too political, there is one thing they can do. And this one thing is to refer the problem back to the European Council. The European Council, as you probably all know, is the meeting of heads of state and governments, and they didn't used to meet that regularly. Uh, now it's, it's a constant in Brussels ever since the war broke, so they're here all the time. But the next meeting is on December 15th and 16th. So my crazy theory here is that we've been blocking these funds for a while already. 
let's wait three weeks, right? Let's say, okay, like we are not able to take a decision here. This is too complicated. Orban is blocking everything. We don't know what to do. So we are going to give this to the political masters. We're going to give this, you know, to Macron, to Scholz, to Sanchez, to Meloni, to all these, <laughs> these people who are in charge of things. And in the meantime, we're going to ask Charles Michel, the president of the European Council, to see whether he would be able to convince the Poles to actually back the European Union in its disciplinary procedure against Hungary. Why would the Poles do that, you would ask? And this is a very good question. I think the case for the Poles to actually sign at least to Orban that they would be willing to enter some conversations on unblocking Article 7 procedures is that Orban is willing to block anything that has to do with aid to Ukraine and assistance to Ukraine in its war against Russia. And I think, and I might be naive, that push comes to shock, the Polish government would prefer not to be invaded by Russia than actually keeping on their bromance with Viktor Orban. Now, of course, if I was the Polish government, I would say, right, okay, so I'm not happy that Orban is blocking everything. Um, I need to, we need to do something about this, this man because he's just disrupting all our work on, on, um, on Ukraine. But I also want something in return because if I unblock Article 7, who is to tell me that the Hungarians are not going to unblock my own Article 7 procedure? So we end up in a situation where none of us can vote in the European, uh, in European uh, Union policies. So uh, the crazy idea and the dirty trick that I was thinking there is, okay, so in order for the polls to actually be, you know, on board, we will need to make sure that we sort of delay the Article 7 procedure um, so that they are sure that the Hungarians will not vet it. And I am aware that this sounds like war gaming, and this is not the way that we should be behaving with one another. But I, I'm just really concerned that at the moment there is nothing, absolutely nothing we can do to stop Orban from playing dirt. I think the commission has smartened up and is not playing dirt, but playing smartly. And I think it's time for the European Council, so the political overlords, uh, so to speak, to um, intervene. But I don't know, this might be crazy and you probably think it's crazy. So what do you think, Sander? Am I being like completely irrational here? Well, it sounds like you're carving out a one-two trick to bring Poland on board to block the EU funds to Hungary. On some level, this sounds like an unsavory political act, but I imagine there are good reasons for the EU to be more forthcoming to Poland in its own right, given how strongly the country has supported Ukraine through military support and refugee support. And politics is always the art of the possible, the attainable, or the next best. And given its sheer size and the geopolitical constellation, Poland does seem like the more indispensable partner for the rest of the EU than Hungary at this stage. So a solution that unblocks EU action that 25, 26 member states want to support Ukraine while being able to put the EU's money where its mouth is, at least on Hungary, could be exactly that kind of solution, the best attainable outcome. But maybe I'm too optimistic uh, and this is, this is not really feasible. Hmm. Well... I mean, I, you're supporting my idea, which I think is quite crazy. So um, I will forgive you for being optimistic. Um, okay, so let's imagine that Jean-Michel is actually listening to this and takes us up on our suggestion. Um, of course, 
one thing that I should say, uh, because otherwise EU nerds are going to jump on me, is that the European Council cannot issue legally binding decisions, right? So the European Council could not decide on the spot to, to stop this money. But let's say European governments do listen um, to what the European Council says, so it is able to tell European governments, uh, okay, so we think that you should do this, and the Council is not known uh, for not following the European Council recommendations. Um, so let's say the European Council, Charles Michel, all these uh, European prime ministers and, and heads of government are listening to us, and they do decide, okay, let's stop, let's block the money, let's 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 try this, let's try to gamble uh, in the same way that Orban is gambling. What would happen to the economy if this crazy idea of mine is is you know made possible? If we see a temporarily uh, disruption or temporary blocking of EU funds to Hungary, even if it's, you know, just to call Orban's bluff. What would happen to the economy? Losing the 13.3 billion for the next few years would drive down Hungarian economic growth. There's no doubt about that. Short-term forecasts say that the Hungarian economy is basically going to be flat in 2023, but that is under the assumption that they get a timely and complete delivery of the expected EU funds. Without it, there would undoubtedly be a somewhat deeper recession in Hungary next year. The picture could also turn bleaker if the lack of EU funds interacts with other risks in the Hungarian economy. And one key aspect to watch here is Hungary's external imbalance, which is basically the, the deficit between exports and imports, which is, it has been really widening quite substantially. Having such a deficit means Hungary needs external finance to pay for it, which makes the economy particularly vulnerable to the kind of shock of losing external EU financing. I don't think such a major crisis in the short run is the most likely outcome. Most of the pain I expect to be long run. Without all the EU-sponsored investment, there could be semi-permanent output and jobs losses versus the scenario where they do get the EU support. And the same Oxford economic support I cited earlier, for example, expects GDP to stay 3% lower every year uh, under that scenario until 2025. So that is a serious blemish and a break mm -hmm. with the strong record of growth in the Hungarian economy over the last decade. Right, so it seems to me that we are in a bit of a catch-22 situation because we keep on thinking of EU funds as the leverage that the Commission or the European Union has on Hungary, but after listening to you describing the, the effects to the economy, it seems to me that it is also leverage that Hungary has on the European Union. Because, and I don't know, this is this is a, a completely <laughs> improvised question, so um, feel free not to answer it, but what would happen to the European Union economy if this scenario that you just described was to happen? I'm not entirely sure that it's a symmetric set of risks. I think clearly hmm. the downside risks for Hungary are much larger than the other way around because the European economy is just much bigger mm -hmm. and the Hungarian economy is integrated in some value chains given also its sort of central location but I don't think it would be hugely disruptive for the rest of Europe so in that sense I do think it's the main the main leverage that the European Union has the, the question whether they get it over the finish line the sort of uh, scenario you've sketched out is probably more political. So whether yeah. the polls can go along with it, whether Germany feels comfortable to go down that route, 
relations between Berlin and Warsaw have also not been optimal. And yeah. so I think the political calculus from the various key actors in terms of their alliances and the long-term impact on their alliances will dominate the economic uh, economic considerations. Right. I think I think this has been the case on this whole uh, rule of law saga for both Hungary and and Poland. Actually, that um, a lot of the time we've been thinking about this as a money problem, uh, but it goes much much deeper than that. And there are a lot of political considerations to be to be taking into account when when thinking about this problem. Uh, Absolutely. That was a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much, Sander, because I do think that a lot of the time when we when we think and talk and write about this topic, we do forget uh, the economic impacts. Um, so thank you so much. I learned so much from you today. Um, and I hope this was a useful uh, podcast. And I'm sure that it's going to be outdated as soon as we put it out, uh, because this, such is the nature of the conflict uh, in between Budapest and Brussels, that it moves at a very, very uh, fast pace. Just thank you so much for listening to the CR podcast. Thank you very much, Sander. Good Thank you so much, Camino. morning to you and good evening for me. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.